Hey friends, welcome to the Love Intently podcast, where each week I bring you relationship experts, inspiring couples, and first-class relationship thought leaders from around the world. I'm on a mission to explore what exactly makes love last and to empower a generation to have strong relationships. I'm your host, Sophie Kwok, the chief love enthusiast who believes that relationships are the most important part of our lives. And if you're looking to build a stronger relationship or to take a proactive approach towards love, loveintently.com hosts an array of articles, podcasts, resources, and love tips to help you build and keep strong relationships. I am so glad you're here. Let's get started. Hey, hey, Love Intently Tribe. Today is a sweet treat because we are talking with CJ and Kelly Cassiota. They share their incredible journey and story of taking the non-traditional entrepreneurial path, grieving their first miscarriage, being nine years apart. Yes, she is nine years older than him. Parenting and so much more. This interview is near and dear to me because early on, when I was really insecure about starting Love Intently and had full force imposter syndrome, CJ and I met after he gave a talk about owning our weird and the crazy abnormal parts of us and our stories and that these were the very things that were going to set us apart. And they have. CJ is a writer, speaker, and has helped some of the world's biggest brands discover their unique identity and share it creatively, including Lululemon, the United Nations, MGM Studios, and Whole Foods. His work has been featured on national media, including CBS, MTV, Amazon Prime, and the Huffington Post. His book, Get Weird, Discover the Surprising Secret to Making a Difference, launched in bookstores everywhere this last September. And you can currently order it on Amazon or find it wherever you get your books. The link will be in our show notes. And Kelly has a background in design, creative direction, and brand management. And now she has one of the world's hardest jobs, being a full-time mom. Welcome, CJ and Kelly, to the Love Intently podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Our pleasure. I'm just so excited for our conversation because um, you two are a couple that I have followed for a while, and I just really admire the work that both of you guys have put into the world and your spunky daughter that you guys have that I just (laughs) absolutely adore your Instagram post on. (laughs) So before we get started, I'd love for you guys to give a little bit of background of how you guys met and led you guys to where you are today. Yeah, I actually showed up on uh, Kelly's front porch. It's true. That's a, that's a, a true story. I showed up on our front porch and we were <laughs> hanging out at, uh, we lived in a, in a place called the Orange Circle in Orange County, which is where they filmed that movie, That Thing You Do, um, where, and that, that, if you've seen that movie, Orange actually looks like it's trapped in 1965 in like the best way. And so my buddies and I were just riding our, our fixed gear bikes around and someone said, Hey, we should go to Kelly's house. And I had heard about Kelly and we dropped our bikes down and we rang the doorbell and Kelly was just coming in from a run and we met on the front porch and the rest is history. And then a year later to that day, I proposed to her on that front porch. So that wow. version, do you want the, the other version? <laughs> Um, yeah, I'd love to hear your side. <laughs> I, it was Mother's Day. I didn't go to San Diego to be with my family that year for just a number of reasons. It just didn't work out to make it down. And I was working at a church at the time, so I was supposed to work that day also. So I hung out at my house all day, got super bored. I never run. 
I'm not a runner, but I went out for a run just to like pass the time. And I come back up and there are all these people on my front porch. And I'm like, okay, this is not that abnormal because like he said, it's just one of those neighborhood places where people ride their bikes around and hang out. And I knew everybody except for CJ. So I got up on the porch and I was like, hi, I don't know you. And we started joking like, we started joking the opposite, like, oh, we're, we're best friends. Like by the end of being on the front porch, we were just pretending that we'd known each other the longest because he was the newest. And, um, and then they were leaving and I decided I just want to hang out with them today. I don't really, I, I kind of want to ditch work and not do my normal thing. And so they went down the street to another person's house and I rode my bike down and then we ended up in the circle hanging out and uh, by the end we were all eating a meal and I was observing this guy in a really cool way. Like he was having a conversation with a homeless guy in the middle of orange circle. And I just thought there's something intriguing about him. And I didn't go home and say, I've met the man I'm going to marry, but I did. He definitely made a mark that day. And I thought that guy, CJ, he seems cool. I I hope we get to see him more. Well, it was really funny. I I, like often forget this part, but I was supposed to go on a date with a girl like the day after. And while we were hanging out that night, she like sends me a Facebook message or something on my phone, basically like, like blowing it off. Like for, I don't know for whatever, like I have no idea why, but, and I think I remember even saying something like, dude, this girl like, totally blew me up, blew me off or like, uh, you know, stood me, stood me up. But yeah, very serendipitous now. <laughs> well, and not that he talks about this aspect of his creativity, but he, as a great writer, he's written some pretty awesome songs and some friends put a guitar in his hand that day and made him sing this song. And I was like, oh, that is a beautiful song. Who wrote that? That sounds like a, like, I figured it was a classic because the, the, the storytelling in it just felt really good and old and timeless. And they were like, CJ wrote that. I was like, okay, not afraid <laughs> to talk to a homeless man just hanging out in the middle of a circle and beautiful songwriter just seems like an interesting guy. It's all downhill after that. And it was like my best day. <laughs> Yep, I've just been a, a huge disappointment for the past eight years. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Start off high. Okay, so when was the first date after that? First, it's foggy. No, you would call the first date. Right? I don't know. I think like I so I had I had tickets to a, a show at a, a little club in LA, and I asked her that. I said, "Would you be my plus one?" And so that I feel like that was kind of like I kind of think that was too legitimate date. And then after that, I kind of like. But that was sort of the date where it was like, all right, let's kind of test how into me she actually is. Because everything had been pretty, like, social group-based up until that point. So it was pretty safe. So, But then after that, that's when, like, the confidence date came in. Like, okay, hey, I'm calling it a date. We're going on a date. Let's do this. So that date, so that first date was... Um, it was in LA. It was at a little, Cafe. yeah, a little club called the Hotel Cafe, and it was great. We had a bunch of friends go with us, so it was pretty, like there was there was not a whole lot of pressure, but you know we were kind of vibing on each other. And then um, Up, the movie Up just came out from Pixar, and so that was the second day. I said I want to take you on an update, and you know we went and we saw the movie, and like you know the first fifteen minutes of that movie, and we're like, so I'm thinking the movie theater, I'm like, well, great, I'm like, okay, I guess I'm marrying this girl now, since you can't, like, you can't watch that first fifteen minutes on a, on a date, and I go, oh well, I guess is the one. So um, yeah, the rest is history. Wow. Okay. So how old were you guys then when you met? This is pretty. So this is pretty crazy. Not a lot That's of people knew this, question. but one of the things that like kind of had us like sort of 
both thinking like, man, is this a good idea or whatever? Uh, she's actually nine years older than I am. So I think we had a, we flipped like she was 32 and I was 23 and we were sort of like, man, is that, and that's kind of, I think why we were like, is that even okay? Like I was having these internal battles with myself talking to my roommate. Like she would ask me if I was into CJ and I'm like, no, he's, he's nine years younger. That of course I'm not, but I knew that I was, but I knew that I didn't think I could be. And she was like, so let me get this straight. If he were, let's say 28, I was like, oh, I'd have a total crush on him. So yeah, I'm like, I'm like 65 years old in my heart, like, so, and my actions. So it really actually kind of worked out where, yeah, we don't even really think about it now, but it I think it toggles for, between old man and boy. Yeah. Like there's just this, there's like a childlike wonder. Even my way. body type. It's like, you know, 12 year old boy meets a 65 year old Jared's all ad. It's, <laughs> it's tough. I can never, one day I'm going to like be Benjamin Button and, and meet yes. in the middle, maybe when I'm like 41 or something like that. I'm just going to look like great for like six months and then all going to, I don't know why I'm like taking ear hair out of my ear, but also like my arms won't like, you know, have any muscle defined to them. So it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough combo. Okay. So were there other conversations you had to have with other people or around your age or did you feel like an unspoken I don't know, judgment on that or how is working through that? Cause I can't, I can totally understand how culturally that can be a hard thing. Well, it's probably, it's, yeah, I think culturally, and I'm not saying this is, this is right or wrong, but like, I think for the guy, it's different. I, I, I got a lot of high fives and then Kelly got a lot of like, Oh, you're rocking the cradle. So it was no, a little I bit. I got rock a lot of cougar comments is what I got. Very ridiculous. <laughs> cougars is what I got. But yeah, I think it I think it really was a little different for him, but I think both of us would agree that we had a little bit of a struggle with the gap like is this okay? Cuz yeah. you said you were kind of thrown by it too. Yeah. I was definitely doing math like when I was 18, he was 9 <laughs> and just stuff like that just really toyed with me. So conversations for me were I found it at another good friend who had a pretty substantial gap in her marriage. She's 10 years older than her partner and he, and they got married a couple of years before. So I was like, how has that gone for you? And she just kept saying it really hasn't mattered. You know, that, that time really hasn't mattered. So we ultimately, after talking it through and just having some really frank conversations with each other, I think my favorite one around that was one night we ended up we had been trying to hang out with other people, other people, other people all the time, like not totally ready to call this what it was turning into. And then one night we found ourselves hanging out and nobody else had showed up. And so that felt pretty serendipitous. And I would say that led to the big conversation that coined the phrase uniquely matched for us because we, in that, and that night I was like, okay, CJ, what's going on? Are we just are we just two totally unoriginal people or are we uniquely matched? Like what's, what's the deal? And, and then that led to this, me throwing all my fears on the table. Like I, I do not know what to do with this gap. I don't know if it's okay or if it's nothing to worry about. You know, we don't see that happen a lot in culture where there's that big of a gap for the woman being older, but you know, then you read lifespan and think, things about lifespan and it's like, why not marry a younger man? Women seem to live longer anyway. So let's <laughs> just balance it out a little bit. So anyway, Absolutely. that just, that conversation, the way he responded, he was like, I, I feel that too, but I, 
I feel like we met for a reason and I'm open to figuring that out. And I thought that's, I can do that. That (laughs) felt so mature and balanced in response to my fearful thoughts. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm down with that. I can. Yeah. I had very lopsided game during that time. I'm telling you, like she's making me sound great. And then it was just a bait and switch. Like every day since then, it's been like, just, you know, I, I, I didn't, I did remember thinking, those first couple of dates, I'm like, dude, this is better than I normally am. Like, so I'm doing. Smooth. I'm like, I'm abnormally smooth right now. Something like supernatural must be happening here. But we use that, <laughs> we use that phrase all the time. Uniquely matched that we have it like hanging on our, you know, on our wall, and it's engraved in our rings, and we just like that phrase, uniquely matched. And we call that gap between us the lost decade. So if there's <laughs> things that come up that we're like. It's mainly pop culture stuff. It's cartoons we watched or songs we heard and things like that. We'll be like, oh, that's just part of the last decade. But I don't know. It's weird because I'm an old soul. So, like, there's a lot of stuff that when she was, like, five or six, like, I was, I really enjoy, like, I like, I like a lot of that stuff. But it's just because I've either found out about it later in life or, um, yeah, it's been interesting. Yeah. Maybe the only thing is, like, 90s hip hop. Yeah. <laughs> So at what point was it that night that you guys talked about? At what point were you guys like, all right, this is the real deal. Like, I think I want to spend the rest of my life with this person. Man, I don't, I don't know. I had so many people kind of like pull me aside when we were dating and go like, dude, she's really great. Like, don't mess this up. I'm like, I know, like, stop. Okay. Like I get it. Chill out. Um, but yeah, so I, I kind of knew, I'm I'm a pretty like activator kind of personality, so I would say after like the first three months or so, I was like, man, I think this is this is pretty good. This is this is working out pretty well. So I knew about three months in, but yeah, I think I think it was kind of tough to get. I think because of both of our stories and histories and kind of stuff. Like, well, I'll let you I'll let you kind of talk about that. It wasn't like I don't think we both kind of arrived at the same time. But once we did, it was really good. Yeah. To be honest, I think some of our dating was colored by failed relationships in my life leading up to it that left me pretty fearful. So I came in like, yeah, this is this is great. But what if this isn't going to last? What if this isn't the right guy? What if I'm making a decision that's really unhealthy for me and I just don't know it? I felt real turned upside down. I feel like I have a good head on my shoulders in a lot of ways, but there's just these blind spots in relationships where I could not, I was afraid that I couldn't figure out what was truly good or healthy for me. And I almost could do it more easily for other people than for myself. And so I brought a lot of fear into our dating relationship where it probably could have and should have just been fun enjoyment, just taking in that we'd met and enjoying that. I was, I was, a little bit shrouded in the, what if this is the wrong, what if this isn't going to last a lot of that stuff. And so it took me longer. I was, I still found myself wanting to be in it, but it, I, I was fearful to say, let, yeah, we're going to get married. And having that, those feelings and those conversations early on left me with that. We're probably rushing it. This isn't okay. Um, I want to give it time. And that throwing him a little off, like, can't, what, what is going on with you? And can't we just enjoy this and ride the wave? And um, but I don't there were days doing... that we could. And then there were just days where I was, I was like freaking out a little bit. So I don't remember my exact 
I'm going to marry this guy day. But I just remember as we started to approach those conversations, me feeling fearful in the beginning, but feeling more and more like, I think this really is going to last. I need to trust that this is going to last. And then just personally, a lot of internal prayerful consideration of it where I was like, is, you know, what's going on here, God? Yeah. And I mean, there's stuff on my part too. Like, I think we both kind of like, we were kind of both at like a car dealership, you know, and sort of checking each other out and like, you know, looking underneath the hood and, and almost unfairly, um, and so I feel like when she, like once she kind of got on board, then I was sort of like, Hey, wait a minute, let me, you know, let me look at this. And, um, so yeah, I would say like the, the year that we sort of dated, we didn't have, I th- I'm sure it was fine, you know, on the outside of people, but I remember there being a lot of like arguments and rest, like, you know, and just interrogate, like interrogation probably more on my part than her part but more mine was probably more external and hers was probably more like internal but i would say not that this is a recipe for like success or anything like we had a really good first year of marriage like once we actually like you know said the vows and everything it was kind of like okay cool we like know you know we we know what we're getting into and we love this you know we both love this car like it's a great you know great car let's go driving as much as we possibly can i don't know what that's a metaphor for but i mean you can probably fill in the blanks anyway. Yeah. I think fear just takes its own form in every person. So fear for him was like, can I, can I trust this woman and her friendships and relationships that, you know, she's really going to be mine. And mine was, can I trust that I'm making the right choice and that this is actually healthy and, Fear, fear is the, at that opposite continuum of love, I think, where, you know, love is brave and love is fearless. And we, and we were, in our approach to love, we're really battling with all the things that would hold us back from it. So. Mm-hmm. So is the term uniquely matched the inspiration for owning your hair? <laughs> I was actually just thinking that when... We were talking about it. I'm like, I know, man, that actually, that actually is a uh, pretty much in the vein, but no, I don't think so. It just, uh, I think uniqueness though, and weirdness has kind of been a theme throughout my life and it played out really, really well when, you know, I met Kelly. So I think looking back, obviously like serendipitously and supernaturally, I'm like, Oh yeah. Wow. This theme is kind of, kind of a major deal, but, yeah. but yeah, no, I wouldn't say that was, mm-hmm. On purpose at all. That's fun, though, that it is part of it, because I think it does mark a lot of CJ's life and interests. And there's just a certain charming quirk to the choices he makes. And it's things, putting it nicely. The things that happen to him and and even just the path he's chosen. There's just it's not been conventional. So why should our marriage be conventional in that way? Let's just let's just flip it all upside down. Yeah. So how did the concept around owning your weird and weird thinking start? Oh, man. Wow. I don't know where we begin on that one. I think I was talking a lot about movements and how movements form and how they spark and how they grow. And I was realizing that I was kind of doing that right in the middle of a, a cultural era where that word movement 
really had a lot of baggage with it. Everybody was calling their thing a movement, you know, whether it was Trump or Hillary or Bernie or, you know, and the movement was kind of getting, you know, it was getting co-opted by all of these people and these campaigns. And so I did this sort of shift. I was actually in, there's a little bar in Hell's Kitchen of all places, New York City. And I was pretty depressed because I was there to like pitch something that didn't really work out. And, you know, I was just sitting there going like, gosh, what is it that I do? And what is it that I can kind of wrap my head around the stuff that I, the value I actually bring to other people. And I wrote down this word weird. And I said, that's actually really kind of the center of everything I do. If I'm helping a company figure out who they are and, and what their identity is, I'm really helping them figure out what makes them weird in the midst of a bunch of other kind of similar companies. You know what I mean? Um, if I am, you know, working on stuff for, for kids, whether that's, you know, production or, or curriculum or something, or if I'm writing, it's really about owning this, this sort of sacred uniqueness that is in all of us. And I really do believe in that. And then I had kind of a freak out moment where I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not weird. Like this is why, who am I to kind of own this mantle? Like I, I mow my own lawn and I make dad jokes and, you know, I, when I shop for clothes, I'm always like looking, okay, what, what is, what is, what is everybody else wearing? So I could just literally fit in. But I think, I think, especially as I've written this book and stuff, I've kind of gone, you know what? It, it's cool because maybe, maybe I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to carry that message because the reality is the more research I've done and the more kind of digging I've done into this concept is we're, we're all weird. We can't help it. Every one of us, we've got this unique pattern of DNA that nobody else has. And so, uh, if, if every single one of us is weird, it kind of begs the question is like, what do we, what do we do with that weirdness? How do we, how do we harness that and how do we use that to help other people, including ourselves belong in a world where, you know, we all know belonging feels really in short supply. Absolutely. And it, this is very special to me because a few years ago, this is hearing your talk was one of the things that propelled me into being brave enough to do love intently and to own the story of being a single woman that felt this calling to, to start this company. Um, so thank you for, for doing the work that you do and for owning your weird, because it's given me permission to do the same. And I know has given probably thousands of others. That's super same. cool to hear. That's really awesome. Yeah. Do you want to share a little bit about your book that's coming out soon around, um, Owning your yeah, weird? I mean, it's called Get Weird. Uh, it's on Amazon. You can go to getweirdbook.com. And it really opens up with that story I just told where um, the introduction is I'm sitting in this bar in Hell's Kitchen, New York. Nothing's going right. And I write down that word weird and it scares the, the heck out of me. But then I go, OK, let's actually start talking about this. And it takes me on this journey where and I, I, I had never even like looked up the definition in the dictionary of the word weird, but weird, one of the definitions is it, weird suggests the supernatural. If you're weird, you're suggesting the supernatural. And I said, okay, I can actually write a book about, <laughs> about that concept, you know? And so the, re again, it, it's kind of just what I said, the reality that we're all born uniquely. We all have this, this imprint, this divine imprint in us um, that's unique. And it's, it's, uh, it's special and it's creative, you know, I think somewhere along the line, usually when we're kids, for me, it was when I was a kid, you know, it's a, it could be a coach, it could be a parent, it could be a peer, it could be a bully. 
we get the weird kicked out of us. You know, we get the, the that uniqueness we're kicked out of us, and we're told, you know, conform, stay inside the lines, don't make a scene. And so this book is is about my journey to figuring out how to reconnect with that weird child that once that <laughs> once you know ran around and imagined things and saw formations and clouds um because i think once we connect with that inner kid that's just kind of waiting to get out that's when really that's where the good stuff really is um that's where really that's what where um stuff really starts to to move and to to, to shake and to actually make a difference We have something super exciting to share with you. Our love personality quiz is released this week and you can find it at loveintently.com or by texting love to 33222, which will text you the link directly. We created this love personality quiz because it helps build self-awareness, but also empathy and understanding of your partner. And at the end of the quiz, if you enter your information, we'll send you love tips based on your love personalities a couple times a week. It's all completely free right now, and it's our gift to you. And of course, you can opt out whenever. And again, you can find it at loveintently.com or by texting LOVE to 33222. Thanks so much for spending time with us. Your time is so precious, and we'd love to hear your feedback. So let us know what you think. So a question I have is how has the concept of owning your weird or weird thinking impacted your marriage? Hmm. This is fun because I've done a lot of interviews around the book, but like none with my wife about like in the context of our, our relationship. I, I'm really interested in hearing what you have to say about this, but I have seen a shift in my own demeanor and kind of spirit once I've started writing this book and seeing the vision for some of the stuff that I really want to do with my vocation where I've kind of gone from more fearful and stressed out to, okay, yeah, I don't know exactly how this thing is going to play out, but I feel like I'm actually stepping into my, my sacred weird, my unique weirdness in a way that feels really authentic and really, uh, kind of divinely peaceful so that I don't know how this is going to happen, but I, I feel kind of a, a new sense of, of sureness that my longing is actually going to catch up with reality. I don't, does that make sense? Yeah. Like the things that you desire are actually going to catch up with what you're manifesting. Yeah. And I don't think I felt that in the, in the first couple of years of our marriage where I was sort of kind of trying to figure out how this looks, how this working for myself thing and how this communicating different ideas works. But I feel like I've landed on a couple of things that, that feel like who, um, the divine sort of created me to be since I was a kid. And so there's just been this really surprising reward of, of freedom and like assurance, you know, and I'm not saying we don't have stressful days or there are days where I, I back out of that, that freedom and sureness and I, I freak out, but I would say if it's a, if we're looking at like a wavelength kind of pattern, I feel like it's a little bit more even keeled 
than some of the spikes of anxiety and <laughs> depression and holy crap, what's going to happen uh, that that have marked, I would say, you know, the past like five or six years of of my career. Mm. I don't know. What do you what do you think? I would agree. It seems like while CJ has written this book and it's it's it, it's been inclusive of so many of his stories and experiences up until this point, there's an aspect of the book that he's writing back to himself to yeah. teach himself something yeah. or to process through something. So I think we have seen that happen in his personal life where there's been, you know, we all have these eternal struggles that would fall back on lies. We're tempted to believe. And this weird thing is one of his, you know, it, he talks about in the book aspects of his life where he felt excluded or bullied or whatever. And so he's writing back to himself, embrace that. And hopefully that helps another person in their own experience or another kid growing up right in the middle of it. But it also has spoken to him. So there's points where I'm like, you need to go back and read the chapter that you wrote about that because you're tempted to be, believe the opposite right now. And um, yeah, I mean, in other ways, just in terms of being, um, being fearless about the choices we're making in career. I mean, CJ works super hard and he doesn't give himself, I think, enough credit for all that he's been able to do, the drive that he has. I see it and he's just perpetually like, it's not enough. It's not enough because he is so driven. So um, it's been really neat to see something like this that is in the form of a physical book that's going to be in a store that we can't go back and go, oh, that, he can't go back and go, oh, that was no big deal. It really is a big deal. And we are seeing that. I don't know how in our marriage we've necessarily applied this stuff yet. I actually I, have. I, I forgot. I it. forgot about, and I, I don't know if you want to edit how much you're editing these and stuff, but I mean, you could probably even back it up to that question. But, um, when I was initially writing the book before I, before I like finished it, I, I workshopped this concept that ended up being a chapter in the book called, um, well, it, was, it, it's, it talks about influence being more about the vision than multiplication. Lots of times we think influence is about multiplication and getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but but people and teams and organizations and movements that are truly influential, they're more concerned with dividing themselves and getting smaller and, and kind of going one-on-one with different people. And so I had written this whole sort of outline for this talk I was going to give about influence being about the vision and not about multiplication. And I give the talk and it goes really great. And it's a wonderful talk. And I felt really good about it. And then right around that time, we found out that we, uh, we were expecting a, a, a kid and we had a miscarriage and not a lot of people talk about miscarriages. And, um, but I, I feel like it is something to talk about as couples and as, as families, we, we'd kind of known that it, miscarriages are, are, are way more normal than I think a lot of people do. And so it didn't, it, it didn't catch us off guard like crazy, but it obviously was a, a bummer <laughs> and it was a few weeks of, of, of feeling pretty, just pretty bummed out and, and, and sad. But again, we weren't like spinning out of control and 
my uh, my nature is kind of to like compartmentalize. I think lots of guys are like this, but it's like okay, you know, I dealt with that. I didn't. I don't feel like I, I stuffed this sort of mourning or sorrow, sorrow like underneath a pillow and just like never looked at it again. I like I spent a couple of weeks going like, wow, man, that's that's really tough. And then sort of took st- we had some great conversations of taking stock of all of the people around us who have blessed us and and supported us and we were like man as as sad as this is and as as hopeful as we were um to welcome somebody else you know into our family like we were really blessed as well but then again because i'm sort of a a, the leader and i sort of compartmentalize stuff i went okay cool we've done it i don't want to feel bad anymore i don't want to you know and and so i'm done and that's it well a couple of weeks later come to find out that Kelly's mom, who's like super wacky and weird and awesome. And, uh, we just love her. So she really embodies this whole, like, you know, sacred, weird kind of conversation that we're having. She ends up sharing a letter to that Kelly wrote to these guys who she volunteers for all these guys who are, um, in this like drug rehab program. My mom volunteers. there. Yeah. My mom, her, her mom volunteers there. And we had actually named, um, this kid, uh, Leo, which Kelly just loved the name and it meant like this brave little fighter. And so, so Kelly's mom ends up sharing this letter that Kelly wrote to our, our unborn kid and, um, and where, where Kelly calls him Leo. And after she's done one of the guys, and these are like, you know, these big tatted up, you know, dudes, tough dudes, uh, he comes up to her and he goes, Hey, that was really, and, and the whole letter was about how you were wanted and you were loved and, um, you know, we're sad to see you go, but we really wanted you. And this, this guy comes up to Kel's mom and goes, you know, my mom didn't want me. Uh, nobody wanted me. It's the reason I'm in this. It's the reason I'm actually in this, this, this drug program right now. And, uh, her mom goes, well, what's your name? He goes, Leo, my name's Leo. <laughs> So I had just gotten done kind of writing the first draft of this chapter. Just talk about influence being really small and uh, influence being about almost seed-like, you know. And I, I just I felt like God kind of hit me between the eyes in a, in a, in a good way where it was like, you know, just because you were done writing Leo's story didn't mean I wasn't done making him – influential and so that's probably the best example <laughs> i can show or or talk about of how that actually this you know lofty kind of oh this would be a, a fun little chapter about influence being about you know small and not big and and then it actually happens it, it surprises i think both of us that we went wow okay just because we've kind of closed the chapter didn't mean god wasn't finished writing this person's story so um yeah that's yeah that's so beautiful going back onto miscarriages because i think you're absolutely right it's something that isn't talked about enough and so many people try to almost deal with it under the covers like they just hide from it and and it just builds up so do you have any advice for couples that are walking through a similar season like what things helped you guys grieve that um loss and 
And looking back, what do you wish your younger self knew in those moments? I have a few thoughts. Um, I felt like we grieved it really well. And I think, I think the number one thing that helped us do that is that we both gave each other the freedom to grieve differently. So it was obviously going to be different for me as the woman who carried this life in my body and then let go of that life. It's just going to feel different than an external experience like his, where he's watching me do that and deal with that. And he's by my side, but he's not having to physically feel it. So it just, even from the very beginning, we knew this is different for both of us. So we just kept checking in, asking each other how we were both feeling and choosing not to be offended by the other person's state of mind. For him, he was being really honest. He's like, I'm not trying to rush this, but I just feel like I've accepted it. And, and, and I'm, of course I'm sad in this way, but I'm, you know, as the days got further out, he was feeling less and less tender about it and sad about it because he was moving forward and back to work and stuff like that. Whereas for me, um, I would, I was still in probably a tender place a little bit longer. So for me, I needed to write. I writing is a big outlet for me and I do it intermittently. And when I do it, I just dive in and, um, and somehow in the process of writing, I discover how I feel at certain points. So I was writing these things like this letter to Leo and this other stuff, and I would share it with CJ and I didn't, it didn't bother me that he didn't need to process anymore, but it helped me know that he was willing to read what I was processing um, and giving me space in that moment to actually pay attention to it and, and hear what I was saying. So I just think letting each other both have their own experiences because there is something that's collective as a couple and there's something that's deeply individual. And I think that's one of the biggest things is letting each other have the experience that they need to as they grieve and not expecting it to look a different way for the other person. Um, and then normalizing it. Being, I, it helped me to have a few conversations with other women that had gone through miscarriage that were talking about some of the nitty gritty things with their body, their family, just, just, I was able to ask whatever question I wanted. Books didn't mean as much to me, but I know they do to some, some people want to dive in and take in a bunch of information. Um, and for me, just having some people that I was able to talk to really mattered. And then on the flip side, I think there's a lot of redemption to experiences like that letter that went on it. He didn't mention this, but one sweet detail is all of that happened on my birthday. The letter being read to those guys happened on my birthday. And my mom didn't tell me that day because she didn't want to call me and, you know, be a downer that day, but she called me about a week later. And to think of that as a gift to me on my birthday, this sort of, holy gift that God gave back to me on my birthday that hmm. this letter that I had written that was just for me to process and maybe share with other people who loved me was read to another guy who felt unloved and forgotten, felt like a gift to me and a gift to him. It just was so deeply layered in love. So those kinds of things are part of healing for me 
not being silent about it, being willing to share it, and then being willing for it to be redeemed and for that experience to help another person, whether it's me talking about how it went down and how we handled it or something more, you know, poetic like this letter, all of that felt like part of the healing and all really important. Wow. Yeah, that's, it's just so beautiful and intricately intertwined on how, how that all unfolded. Um, one thing I do want to ask is, are there any routines or practices or habits that you guys have integrated into your marriage that has helped you guys keep your marriage strong, even through the highs and lows? We're really bad at habits. <laughs> we really are. I was just saying, though, I mean, one thing that I want us to practice more, and I was just saying it on a plane ride out here, is eye contact. I feel like a simple practice like eye contact, when we're running through our days, and especially now that there's two kids and not just one. And, you know, CJ's got the book coming out. So he is busier than ever just for us to have a commitment to looking at each other in the eye and acknowledging each other's selves and souls before we walk out the door, before we pass through the room, I'm just finding some of those simple things like that matter to me. And those are things that foster a sense of connection that I think when we stopped looking at each other, fig- figuratively or literally, an erosion can happen, you know? So just the simplicity of looking each other in the eye when we're passing through the room or pausing in a busy day, we can give a second to look and acknowledge each other, even if it's busy. And that can that honestly can be all the difference in how we come together at the end of the day, whether or not we feel seen or ignored or isolated or whatever. Mm. So for me, What are some of your favorite things to go do? What kind of parties do oh, you guys man. do? <laughs> um, the stuff I could talk about on a G-rated podcast, uh, it would be uh, no, uh, stuff that's like, we, we've always loved going to see um, to see shows together, like yeah. going to see, see bands and our favorite artists play. And there's just something really just fun about that. And so 
Yeah. And then just be, being any kind of, we, we both realize, I think travel compatibility is really huge in a relationship. And so I think we travel really well together. Like there's some people who want to do everything by the book itinerary wise. And like, what I like is to have a set plan. So we're not just kind of aimlessly walking around going like, well, what do you want to do next? Well, what do you want to do next? But I like to have kind of a set plan, but then have the total freedom to break it on a dime and go, you know what? I want to spend two more hours here. Or actually we saw this along the line or along the way. Let's check that out. And so that combo of like spontaneity with a little bit of a template I think we both like that a lot. So we love getting out of our environment and going to a new place and sort of letting our senses kind of awaken to new stuff. So that's one of the reasons why I moved to Nashville uh, out of California, because we feel like it's a really great place to raise a family, you know, have some kids, have a little bit of a yard, but then also not be stuck in traffic for an hour and a half. If you want to go see your favorite band play um, or you want to go have a really great, mood or, or a really great uh, uh, meal or drink or something like that downtown. So we really love that for lifestyle purposes. Hmm. What advice do you guys have for couples pursuing entrepreneurship or starting a movement um, all while being parents and married to the love of your life? Well, I mean, I, I have guys come up to me all the time and are like, I have this great idea and I really want to pursue it, but my wife's really nervous about it. And I, I still have not come up with a good <laughs> like response to that. Cause I just, I honestly, it's going to sound sappy, but I just, I feel super, super blessed every day that I married somebody who is up for the adventure, up for the challenge. That's made me more motivated to, to make good on, you know, on those things. When I say, Hey, I'm actually going to take this risk to know that failure is, is okay, but also to work <laughs> my hardest to make sure that the freedom Kelly has given me to go pursue that I'm, I'm being a good steward of that as well. Um, so I, I don't know, maybe you have <laughs> some advice for people who are already in a committed relationship, but to anybody else who's single out there, make sure, especially as the world get like less and less people are working in kind of your traditional nine-to-five, 401k sort of situations. Um, and so I think that's – I've known, I've known friends who've gotten divorced over that, honestly, um, where one person has taken one career path and it's been – it's been pretty unconventional and the, the other spouse couldn't handle it. And so I think that's definitely one thing, at least from a dating perspective, I think you guys want to have those kind of conversations up front. Um, for us, I feel like it's been the reality that's like, Hey, nothing is for certain. Nothing is, you know, security is kind of a myth. Like you could be working for, I mean, all the people who were working at what, like Morgan James and Bear Stearns and all that stuff during the reset, right before the recession hit, you know, they, th they thought they were living on top of the world and, all of them got canned and you know, the world got, it's just like nothing, nothing is, is secure. And so I'm just kind of rambling. On yeah, I have a few thoughts, that, but I'm I sure think. Kelly has some ideas. Um, first, I think like you were saying in your single years, do not neglect the gift of time that, that you have, that your time is yours. You don't have to share it with anybody that you don't want to share it with. You're not, you don't have any other, spouse that you're dividing that time and energy with or having to accommodate in a way that you want to accommodate ultimately when you're married. But 
it just is, it takes away from your focus and your time and your space that you do have. And then when children enter the picture, there's even less of that time because you're dividing it between trying to maintain a marriage and trying to invest in an emerging life. And so I think back about the hours and hours that I had that I squandered some days and I don't have deep regret over it, but I look back and go, man, I just had, and I love how I spent a lot of my hours. I spent them in relationships and I spent them traveling and I spent them learning how to cook and, you know, so many things that I appreciate, but there are aspects that I didn't totally explore in honing my own creativity that I think, man, that would have been a great time to do that so that I had some of that under my belt by the time I was at this stage in life. Um, so for, for the single person, not neglecting the gift of time. And then CJ already said it, but I would just reiterate, we, you can count on nothing, you know, you, you can count on nothing, but you can trust your partner. I trust that CJ is not a lazy man. I trust that he desires to work hard for our family, hard for himself, hard for the sake of what he wants to contribute to the world. And I trust that. And he's given me no reason to doubt that trust, but I also, I know not every listener comes from this perspective, but I do. I, I see God as the one who provides for our family. I, I see that those things have come together at certain points supernaturally beyond us knowing how it's going to work out or when it's going to work out. And so I choose not to place on my good days, on my healthy days, I choose not to place that weight on CJ. I, I trust him that he's working hard, but I ultimately place that weight and the stress of it on God. So I take that in my prayer like, okay, God, these things are, these bills are coming up. These things are coming down the road in the coming months. What are you going to do about it? And I'm not taking that to CJ. Like, what are you going to do about this? And I think that's, I think that's where the strain enters the marriage is when whichever partner is bringing in the income, the other one's freaking out about it, going, what are you going to do about this? And they let that panic. And again, that fear set in the same fear that came in, in the beginning of the dating relationship. Are we making the right decision? and wars against love comes in in the marriage and it's like, what's going to happen? How are we going to pay these bills and wars against love? And um, so I think for the couple that's in the middle of this, if you do have a partner that you can trust is really doing their best, try to take some of that weight off of them and don't keep it all on them because that is going to rob them of the freedom to be creative and to run and try to be entrepreneurial. Um, and it's going to undermine the very thing that they're trying to do. Not everybody has earned that trust in relationships. So for those couples, I think it's a different conversation, but for us, it's looked like me not placing that weight on him at a point that I think isn't helpful. Do you feel like uh, the concept around owning your weird has impacted your parenting styles? Totally. Oh yeah. Big time. Yeah. I mean, I wrote the book for our daughter, like it's dedicated to her. And so that was actually like the thing in my head like writing every chapter was like, write this so that your, your kid reads it one day and feels permission to be, uh, completely themselves. So mm. totally. And we're, we're at this really sort of vulnerable, scary place where she's about to enter kindergarten. And I'm just like, what are they going to do? What are they going to do to her? You know? So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll save that for the next episode. Like, we'll, you know, come back in a year and go, 
you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll have a lot more that we've learned or we're processing or need to learn and listen to your podcast more from other wiser, older couples who know about that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Are there intentional ways that you guys go about owning or empowering her to own her weird or are there like stories around that? Yeah. I don't know if we have to empower her at all. She just, she's, <laughs> she's weird like well, yeah. out of the gate. What's funny, got this, she's just the sweetest thing, honestly. Like, she's just delightful to watch because she's in this pure state of childhood where nothing's been kicked out of her yet. Everybody, you know, all of her little sweet friends at preschool when she was in it are just only affirming and only nice and always excited to see each other. And um, it's just been a sweet state of life. But I think in terms of things that I've really been intentional about as her mother, I let go of trying to dress her probably two years ago, because I think that simple act of expression, um, parents thwart that in kids. And I think for themselves, they need their kids to look a certain way. And I had a couple internal conversations with myself, like, sure, I'd love to leave the house with her looking darling so that other people can go, oh, wow, look at that. But what she wants to wear is something that does not conventionally match and is super (laughs) extra colorful and maybe has a headband and maybe has it put on wrong. And maybe there are a few other extra accessories. And, And now I realize how beautiful is that? Like, I want to take pictures of that stuff. What what she put together, what she wanted to wear, what joy that brought other people in the store when they saw this little free-spirited human walking through the aisles, all extra colorful with print on print. And it's a really little thing, but I think it goes, I think it's one piece of trying to impose identity and expression on a kid that, that we don't have to do. So I don't dress her. There are very few times where I intervene and say, you need to wear this. Most of the time I'm like, go get dressed. And I celebrate whatever it looks like when she comes downstairs. Um, We have a whole cabinet of stuff that we just call the creative cabinet. And she can get into it anytime she wants and make whatever kind of mess that she can make on the containment of our counter. Um, But just trying to foster that as much as we can. But for me, the first thought is the clothing. I just feel like that even into our adulthood carries into a sense of self-expression. And I don't want to, I'd rather have her learn how to develop that from the very beginning versus needing it to look like what I want it to look like. Yeah. I love that. Okay. If you guys could go on any adventure together in the next year, all expenses paid, like what would you guys go do? Italy. Italy. Ooh, why? (laughs) That's my home. My, my homestead, it's His where I'm, I'm, I'm... Cassiata is really pronounced Cassiota. And I've, I've never been there. Kelly's been there, I think, once or twice. And I don't know. The more we keep on watching, you know, Netflix shows or what is it, like Chef's Kitchen or whatever it is, and every time oh, they Master bring... Master of None. Too. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean... Italy's just... just like... It's just a beautiful, romantic country in every way. The food, the culture, the pace... I need him to be there. I need CJ to see that. I need me to be there. And then I just need to walk in those cobblestone piazzas because just, I don't know, there's certain days where I can take my brain. I'll I'll just float somewhere and think, where do I want to go? I want to feel the cobblestone under my sandals in an Italian Mm -hmm. plaza. And I want him to be there. I want him to experience that, the gelato on every corner and Mm. the homemade everything. Come on now. It's just... 
that's our next destination for sure. Man, yes, Italy would be an amazing destination. I guess little Italy will have to settle for now since you guys are in California. (laughs) Okay, Uh, my last two questions is one, what is the best relationship advice that you have ever received or could give? Probably something Bill said. I was just thinking about that. We've got a guy that we're friends with who has kind of walked with us through a bunch of stuff. And um, just the idea, I think for me, one thing that he said is that you know, love, like when you're in love, you want to hold tighter, but true, true love, you know, um, it's a, it's a letting go with a trust that like the more freedom you give to that person, the more they actually, um, will come back to you. And so that whole concept has been, I mean, he's not the first one to say that that's pretty age old, but I remember the first time really hearing that and sort of plain speak and going like, wow, that is really paradoxical and really true. Hmm. Yeah, I think we met with this guy, Bill, as we were dating and then engaged, and he just set up some of the most healthy, helpful um, boundaries for us in terms of what pressure to not put on each other, how to give each other freedom and trust that the other deserved. And, um, I just think he broke a lot of the norms of CJ as a man, you have to do this. And Kelly as a woman, you have to do this. He set us up to partner and to expect that partnership and to choose that partnership over and over again, instead of like we were like back with the financial conversation, the weight that one partner could put on the other. Um, He really painted a picture of us as husband and wife being side by side journeying individually and together. So we both, I think what I've loved is I have a belief that I have a certain personal responsibility to myself and to my family that CJ will never be responsible for. That will only be my job. I have to do that for my own health and my own self. And in that way, it's individual. If it were only individual, it would be selfish. So I have to see that I'm partnered with somebody that I have to consider and trust and grow with. And we have to you know, try to stay side by side in it, but also carry our own stuff. So he painted that picture for us in a way that really helped me and helps me now, especially in the mom mode. Mm. My last question to you is what does love or love intently mean to you? I think, well, I gotta be careful how I say this. Obviously, I have a very, well, you can't see through an audio podcast, but I have a very sexy wife. Um, the older I get, though, love in general, no matter what form it takes, I'm, I'm learning more how unsexy, inconvenient, <laughs> uh, awkward love really is, but how all of those things really translate to beauty and sustainability. And that's been pretty cool. You know, I, there's a guy named, named Dave who... I have been friends with for a while. And he said one time during a talk, he went, you know, love, I think is true. Love is like when, you know, you're married and, you know, you're able to, to look at each other naked and, and you go, oh, I see, I see that little, those dings there. You know, I see that, that wrinkle or that sort of imperfection. And the other person goes, yeah, I, I kind of see those things and imperfections on you. And, you know, one goes, do you still, 
choose me? Yes. Do you still choose me? Yes. And I think that was one of, that really stuck with me. It was just kind of a nonchalant sort of illustration that he used. But I mean, we've heard everything from, oh, gosh, you know, well, you know, the honeymoon's over after the kids come or, you know, marriage is a lot of work. You know, when somebody kind of leans in their head in and go, oh, it's a lot of work. And it's just like, oh, gee, thanks. Like, I'm super pumped about getting married and having kids now. Uh, you've heard a lot of bad advice, but that was one of the one. What Dave said was really cool. I was like, man, I can get on board with that. I think for me, love intently, um, it's it's brave and it's fearless, and I think it's a force that the more we realize how lovable we are, and the more we take in in that personal sense that we need to realize that we are lovable. We need to realize that we are loved. We can give that out more easily. If we don't, we spend a whole lot of time stuck in ourselves and unable to love well. So it kind of goes back to that advice that Bill gave us where two people side by side have their own responsibilities to themselves and to each other. My responsibility to myself is to remember that I'm lovable and to and to saturate myself in, in being loved, being and knowing that God does love me, knowing that that's a huge part of myself. And that frees me up to put a whole lot less weight on CJ to, to fill all that stuff. It frees me up to give him love, to be less fearful, to be more courageous, um, and to, and to speak to his belovedness in a way that, um, as his partner, I get to. Mm, that's so powerful. Um, well, I just want to take a minute to acknowledge both of you and say thank you so much for sharing so openly and vulnerably. Um, I know that both of you guys have made a huge impact on a lot of people. Uh, so thanks for doing what you do. Well, thanks. thanks Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode and please share on social what you learned and subscribe. It really helps us be found and also helps us get better. And if you haven't already followed us on Instagram at love.intently for daily inspiration or go to loveintently.com where you'll find an array of articles, resources, and even access to the free love personality quiz and access to our love tips. Did I mention it's all free right now? Until next time, friends, with love and intention.